All right, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, the book of Matthew and chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, and we certainly have seen God answer a lot of prayers as of late. Matthew chapter 5, we're just going to read verse number 8 this morning, Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 8, once you find it, if you would stand in reverence to God's word, Matthew chapter 5. And beginning in verse number 8, Matthew 5, verse number 8, just a short verse where Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I want to talk this morning about how to see God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, again, we ask that, Lord, you would lead and that you would guide us. And Father, that if there's anyone here who's not saved once again, that they would hear and feel the conviction, Lord God, and the leading of the Holy Spirit this morning. And Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would have ears to hear, Lord, and eyes to see that which you have for us. Lord God, a willing heart to apply it. And Lord, we just thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. In this great oration of Jesus, commonly called the Sermon on the Mount, it's important for us to understand that Christ had just chosen his apostles and is now setting out to deprogram them while at the same time indoctrinate them. True happiness and fulfillment in in Jesus' kingdom would not come from power, wealth, and glory as they had been taught all their lives. As a matter of fact, one of the things that Jesus would have to do throughout his three and a half year ministry is get them off of this mindset that he came to conquer the Romans and to set up this mighty kingdom in which they would be rulers, wealthy rulers in that kingdom. Now, that's not to say that Jesus is not going to come and set up a kingdom. He is. And that's not to say that Jesus isn't going to come and rule here on earth. He is. But that was not the mission at his first advent. The mission was to seek and to save that which was lost. Also to establish a church of which the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And then to give the church this this common teaching that, well... Happiness and fulfillment do not come from power, wealth, and glory. The happiness and fulfillment Christ would teach his disciples uh, would come from humility, meekness, and sacrifice. As a matter of fact, one of the very last lessons, illustrations that Jesus would give them would be the illustration of a servant as Jesus would stand up from the Last Supper, as many have called it, and wrap a towel around himself and get down on his hands and knees and begin to wash all the feet of the apostles. And, of course, there was some resistance there because, wow, a king ought not be washing people's feet. And as he came to Peter, Peter said, you're never going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, well, If I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. And then Jesus, after he finished washing their feet, stood up 
and he, he, he talked about what he had just did and, and then told them that if they would learn these things and do these things, happy are ye. And so uh, happiness and fulfillment in Christ's kingdom in God's church would come from humility, come from serving others, meekness and sacrifice. And my, how we can see that the more selfish people are, the more, uh, the more uh, uh, focused on self people are, the more miserable that people become. And the more that we, uh, the more that we teach in society, you need to think about yourself. You are number one. Uh, you're the person you need to think about first and foremost. The less happy a society becomes i've said this uh many times boy the whole focus of of what we see today is all about self 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 and and now people are constantly yelling at other people and people are bold emboldened against other people because it's all about me and what a miserable society we live in today unless you have the fear of the lord the love of the Lord, the grace of the Lord, and understand the service of the Lord. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is not a complete synopsis on how the child of God ought to live his life. One of the big misunderstandings of the Sermon on the Mount is that it was to the lost. It actually is a sermon to God's people. It's a sermon to his disciples. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 5 that when he was set, his disciples came unto him, verse number 1, verse number 2, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and he began to teach this great sermon on the mount. And my, what it must have been like to have been there to hear not only the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but I, I, I believe the teacher of teachers and preacher of preachers Stand up there and teach this lesson. Well, as we come to Matthew chapter 5, verse number 8, in this well-known portion of Scripture, this part known as the Beatitudes, Christ reveals the secret to being able to see God. The question begs to be asked, do you see God in your life? Now, we know that actually the first step is trusting in Jesus as personal Savior. These have already done that. That's why they are the disciples. That is the first step. But there are a lot of Christians in Christendom who wonder, why don't I see God in my life? Why don't I see God at work in my life? Why do I not see uh, God revealed in my life? And Christ here reveals the secret to being able to see God and the miracles that God still obviously performs in the personal life of a believer. And again, do you see God in your life? Do you see him working? Do you enjoy his blessings? Do you bask in his peace? Or is your life a life of worry? a life of disappointment, a life of seeking and not finding. Can you feel his presence as you pray to him 
as you read your Bible, as you meet together in church? Is it as if he is talking to you? Or do your prayers seem to go unanswered? Your Bible reading is as nothing and your religious experience is empty and seemingly pointless. Many Christians go through the motions, expecting the motions to bear fruit in their lives. Why, I believe I'm doing everything that, that is required of me. I believe that, that I'm doing everything that I need to do. But the truth of the matter is, if you go back to the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 1, so was Israel. Doing everything they were supposed to do. Meeting in the temple. Bringing the offerings. Bringing the sacrifices. The problem, God didn't have their heart. And Jesus would repeat that this people, they draw nigh to me, they draw near to me, they, with their mouths, with their mouths they do worship me, with their mouths they do praise me. There's a lot of works there, but their heart is far from me. Do you truly want to see God in your life? Following is a simple acronym, and we're going to use the word pure as an acronym. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 8 says, Blessed are the pure, not in their works. Now, works are going to follow, obviously. But God, first and foremost, wants the heart. So, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So, an acronym this morning, using pure. And I, I hope that it'll help you this morning as we take this out with us and apply it and see if you don't see God in your life. So using the word pure as an acronym this morning, uh, the first thing, the first ingredient to this formula, if you will, of seeing God work in your life. Number one is your heart needs to be pollution-free. It needs to be pollution-free. Again, using the word pure as an acronym this morning, your heart needs to be pollution-free. Pollution will hinder your spiritual life from running smoothly. Scripture says, blessed are the pure in heart. Not mostly pure, but the pure in heart. Consider a simple thing like a vehicle and all the safeguards it has to stay pollution-free. You have an oil filter to keep the pollution from getting into the oil. Once you get pollution into the oil, and, and then the oil can't do what it's supposed to do, and that is lube all those moving parts to keep friction from happening. Once friction happens, then, you got, then you're in a world of hurt, which is why we often change the oil and when we change the oil, you also want to change the filter so that as the oil runs through and goes through that filter, filter, all the impurities are taken out. You have a fuel filter. Those of you who own a diesel, especially a modern diesel, know you've got to change that fuel filter often. Not as much or, or quite uh, uh, more often than you have to in a regular gasoline engine. 
uh, because of, of all the impurities. But once again, the purpose is to keep things clean, your fuel injection clean. You also have the air filter doing its best to make sure nothing but the purest air flows through your vehicle. Boy, I know that even uh, in our uh, in our home, we have in the furnace a a, a uh, furnace filter, furnace filters. Some of them have to be washed regularly. Ours are the kind that you have to change regularly. And if you don't, then those things will get all gunked up. And then the uh, the air flowing is going to uh, it's not going to flow the way that it's supposed to. It'll burn your furnace up. And so you need to change those regularly. I know that when we had the fires over the summer, the, the, uh, man, the smoke was just everywhere. And I remember thinking, man, I, I'm going to have to change those filters because, um, man, it's just breathing that bad air. I can remember going online to order a filter and couldn't. They weren't, you couldn't find them anywhere. Finally, I don't remember where I went, and I found the last filters. I came home, and I opened that furnace up, and I'll tell you what, those filters needed changed. And so we were able to change them. Listen, we're talking about life here. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. How smoothly is your spiritual life running? Pollution needs to be measured by God's standards and not the world's. You know, we live in such a vile culture, and it just keeps getting worse and worse, that if we measure purity by the world, man, we are not going to have a pure heart. The Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse number 14, one of the problems with Israel. The Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles 36, 14, moreover, all the chief priests and the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen. Now listen to what they were doing. They were looking at the world around them and implementing the practices of the world into their temple And then thought, well, because everyone else is doing it, it must not be that bad. And yet the Bible called it an abomination. Listen again. All the chief priests and the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen. Can I just say this? The world is not a good place to find your biblical standards. Your biblical standards ought to be found in the Bible, not in the world. And we shouldn't let the world set our standards for us. No wonder so many Christians go through the motions and they wonder, why do I not see God in my life? Because blessed are the pure in heart, not according to the world's standards, according to God's standards. And we see here in 2 Chronicles chapter 36 that the people were looking at the world and implementing worldly practices into their religion 
and then saying what's wrong. This is what everybody is doing. And yet, God says that they aggressed, they, they transgressed, that is, they sinned very much, not just a little bit, very much after all the abominations of the heathen. And listen to this. And they polluted the house of the Lord, which he had hallowed in Jerusalem. Now, before the temple could be polluted, the individuals had to be polluted. Before the church is polluted, the individuals are going to be polluted. And before the church is pure, the individuals have to be pure. You know, just as the people defiled the temple in the Old Testament, we're often guilty of it in the New Testament. You know, there's two things that are called a temple in the New Testament. One is the church, and one is the individual Christian. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 16, and a lot of people believe this this uh, is in reference to the individual. I believe it's in reference to the church, but either way, the church is people. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 16, because of the context and the way Paul writes it, I believe he's writing to the church, or he's addressing the church there in Corinth. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God? And we could be saying this to the church here in Hillsboro. Ye are the temple of God. And that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Of course, we pray that the Spirit of God dwells in the church. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. My, throughout my ministry... I've watched individual after individual um, go against the church of Jesus Christ. And I've watched them pay a great, great price. As families are destroyed, as children are compromised, as, as, as individuals, uh, literally, they incur the wrath of God. You do not want to mess with God's church. And God said, now you go against the temple of God, God's going to destroy you. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. There's also something else called a temple in the New Testament, and that is the individual Christian, not just the church, the individual Christian. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, three chapters later, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And this is why a lot of people say, you Baptist preachers, you just get too personal. Telling people what they ought to do and, 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 and how they ought to live, I mean, that's just too personal. That's not up to you. And it's not up to me, but it is up to God. Because according to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 19, Paul writes this to the individual. I remember the last one was to the church. This is to you as an individual. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, 
As soon as you accept Christ as your personal Savior, the Holy Spirit dwells within you and is supposed to take ownership of the body, except we fight him every step of the way. This is my body. This is my life. I want to do with it whatever I want. And Paul says this, no, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God. And you are not your own. For ye are bought with the price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So this whole nonsense, uh, it just matters what's on the, uh, what's on the inside. I can do with this body whatever I want to. No, you can't. It's like you, you, your, your body is like a vehicle that your business gives you to use for business use. You can't go paint it whatever color you want. You can't go put whatever logo you want on it. If you work for the city of Hillsboro, chances of are you got a vehicle that has the city of Hillsboro logo on it. It belongs to the city. You can drive it, and some people will allow you to drive it home. As a matter of fact, we have a police officer in our uh, church, and, and uh, the time will come, and, and uh, many police officers get to take their cars home. But can they use those cars for whatever they want? What if Cord decides to bring a, a, a police car home and decides, you know, I don't like the color of these police cars, and goes and has it painted? Um, he's probably going to lose, at the very least, lose that privilege, and he may lose some other things. And yet, we will take this body that God says, no, I'm, uh, it's, it's my body now. And we will say, you know, I ought to be able to pierce it, tat it, do whatever I want to with it, uh, make markings on it, dress it however I want to, because I'm an individual, well, thankfully, God has made us all individuals. But God wants us all to be individuals for his glory and for his honor. It's not just the inside that counts. He says, glorify God first in your body. In your body is first. And in your spirit, because he bought the whole package so what did he buy it with? The most precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so God says this, two references, two temples. And by the way, you can combine them if you want. The church, which if we defile it, God, him will God destroy. The body, which belongs to God because he bought it. And he bought it with a very, very heavy price. So when we're talking about blessed are the pure in heart, obviously that's going to translate on the outside as well as on the inside. And what we may consider to be acceptable because it's what the whole world is doing, understand that's exactly what Israel thought. Well, we'll just implement this and we'll just implement this. And, you know, it's what everybody's doing. It's the newest trend. 
and yet God called it transgression and abomination and pollution. And if we want to see God in our lives, the heart needs to be pollution-free. And what many may consider a social trend, this is the way of society today. You hear this all the time. We don't live in the 50s anymore. We don't live in the 80s anymore. Uh, Trends are different. Things are different. We live in the 2020s. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 through 5 is still good for the 2020s. This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, even though maybe that's what the rest of the world is doing. But you bring it into the life of a Christian, it's pollution. You bring it into the church, it's pollution. Now let me just say, you bring it into the Christian home, it's pollution. And so Paul says this, to abstain from it, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. And so what God says there in 1 Thessalonians, don't look at the Gentiles for your standards, for the way you're to live. That's the way the Gentiles live. It's not to be the way the child of God lives. What some may consider simply impure thoughts. Well, you can look but you can't touch. God considers a definition of life. In other words, Proverbs 23, verse number 7 says, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's what he is. It's not just an impure thought. Philippians 4, 8, Paul writes, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure by God's standards, not the world's standards, whatsoever things are lovely and whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things because as a man thinketh in his heart, So is he. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I just don't understand why I'm not experiencing the blessings of God and why I don't feel God and why I don't hear God and and why I'm so stressed out because blessed are the pure in heart. You do realize that a relationship, a good relationship with God is conditional upon our actions and, and our thoughts. Blessed are the pure in heart. What we may consider bad feelings, God considers bitterness, pollution. Hebrews twelve 15, we're to look diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Your bad feelings are bitterness. You need to get them taken care of. They're pollution. And one of the things required for you to see God in action in your life 
You need to have a heart that is pollution free. Simply put, if you have something in your life that you know is pollution and you refuse to get rid of it, how can you expect to serve and be blessed? How can you expect to see God when the first ingredient to the formula for seeing God is a pollution-free heart? And James says this, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Well, let's move on to the next ingredient, which would start with the letter U. Using the word pure as an acronym this morning, the letter U would have to stand for unconditional surrender. Unconditional surrender. You know, if you are going to have a pollution-free heart by God's standards, you're going to have to surrender and do it unconditionally. In other words, give up everything for the Lord. He gave up everything for us. You know, the interesting thing is when you give up everything for the Lord, you really don't give up anything at all. You gain so much. When I was a kid and my, my, my dad gave up smoking, I wonder how many years it bought him. Gave up drinking. I can guarantee you it, it, it bought years for our family. Man, all that stuff. And here's the thing. You really don't have to give, give up. You give yourself to the Lord and he takes those things. He gives you the desires of your heart. Man, uh, other things that, that you will want to do and, and be so glad you did. Everyone knows that when they have something or even someone in their lives they ought to give up for the Lord, that they need to do so. Be satisfied with only God's perfect will for your life. We know Romans uh, chapter 12, verse number 1, that says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. But verse number two says this, be not conformed to this world. In other words, not the standards of this world, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Unconditional surrender. We're going to revisit this verse. But we deceive ourselves into thinking that with, without that certain thing in my life, I'm just not going to be happy. Whether it's a vice, a friend that takes you down the wrong path, a relative that hinders your relationship with the Lord. Well, without that, I just won't be able to go on. Well, with it, you won't be able to go on. Because a pollution-free heart requires unconditional surrender. Why do I not see God in my life? Perhaps because you placed conditions on your surrender. Well, I will surrender to this point, but I'm not going to cross 
this line. Well, then you're not going to see God. Because blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Claiming things will only make you miserable as you try to hold on to them. When you lose something, something that you never considered yours, common sense you get, says you get over it much faster, much quicker. Which is why so many great men that lost everything. Job, he never considered his kids his. He never considered his wealth his. He said this, he said, the Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It was never mine. God let me have it, and I'm thankful for that. God has taken it back. It was his to begin with. Oh, and you know what Job's attitude did? It caused him to have twice as much later on in his life. Because you cannot outgive God. Here's a man who gave God everything. And God said, oh, no, you're not going to outgive me. And God gave it all back and then doubled it. Because Job never believed it was his to begin with. Great men, both past and present, have taught us this lesson. Then Job arose and rent his mantle. He shaved his head. Obviously, he grieved. He wasn't calloused. Did he cry over losing everything? Well, sure, who wouldn't? He fell down upon the ground, and he worshipped. And then he said, naked came I out of my mother's womb. Job had even given God his clothes. Everything belonged to God. Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Why? Because Job knew it was all God's to begin with. That's unconditional surrender. At our men's retreat, I remember Brother Watkins uh, years and years ago, lost his son over the summer. And I remember calling him and saying, listen, brother, I understand if you don't want to do our men's retreat. Remember, he said to me, he said, brother house, uh, it's not going to change anything. And I remember at that men's retreat, he kept re- reiterating that God didn't take his son. He said, God just received that which was already his. Hey, if you consider it your life, you'll never do great things for God, nor will you ever be able to be in his perfect will. Without uh, unconditional surrender, we're unstable. 2 Chronicles 25, verse number 1. Amaziah was 25. Uh, 20 and 5 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 20 and 9 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoiadan of Jerusalem. And listen to this. He did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a perfect heart, which is what God wants, which is what is required if we are going to 
be stable. The Bible says, now it came to pass after that Amaziah was come from the slaughter of the Edomites that he brought the gods of the children of Seir. This was a man who did that which was right in the Lord's, uh, in the sight of the Lord. But, so in other words, he had all the works, all the action, all the performance. But God didn't have his heart, not with the perfect heart. So as soon as the opportunity came, the Bible says he began to uh, serve uh, the gods of Seir and, uh, and, and set them up with his gods. And he bowed down himself before them and burned incense unto them. See, we need to strive to never let it be said of us what God said about Israel. For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me. Their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. In other words, it's conditional. Just like we may uh, sign a treaty with another country, but there's conditions. You need to meet those conditions. You do understand we didn't sign a treaty with God. That when we give ourselves to God, he gets the whole thing because he purchased us with his blood. Heart needs to be pollution free if it's going to be pure. It needs to uh, it needs to consist of unconditional surrender. If we're going to see God work in our lives. Well, let's move on to the letter R using pure as an acronym. We need regular, regular renewal. Regular renewal. In Psalm 51, verse number 10, after David had committed his great blunder, he didn't lose his salvation, but he knew that what he did lose was a right spirit. And he says in Psalm 51, verse number 10, he says, Create in me a clean heart. And that's what we're talking about. And renew a right spirit within me. You know, regular renewal will first of all renew your strength. It will renew your strength. We need the word of God to renew our strength. We need the preaching of the word of God to renew our strength. We need fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ, exhorting one another, as we read in Hebrews, to renew our strength. But in order to have our strength renewed, we're going to have to be patient. In Isaiah chapter 40, Verse number 28, that means we need to continue doing what we're supposed to do, knowing the Lord will renew our strength. In Isaiah 40, verse number 28, Isaiah 40, 28, Isaiah writes, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not? 
neither is weary. So as we go through our hard times and we think God has abandoned us, he reminds us here, God doesn't get tired. God doesn't take a vacation. God does not faint. God is not weary. God is always working. My, as I look at the things that are going on in our nation today, we could look at it one of two ways. We could say, wow, what a tragedy. Or we could say, wow, what an opportunity. What's God going to do? There is no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the faint. You feeling faint? I think maybe we all are a little bit. We need that regular renewal. Do you know I feel stronger after Sunday? I don't know what it is. I do know what it is. It's being in the house of God. It's being exhorted. It's being encouraged. It's being taught. It's being preached at. He gives power to the faint and to them that have no might. He increaseth strength. So those who think, man, I'm just at my wit's end. God gives us strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. That is those who trust in their own strength. The young men shall utterly fail, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's that regular renewal. Man, even it doesn't matter how strong people are. If they just rely on themselves, they're going to faint. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. By retreating from the world to God, our strength will be renewed. But too often we retreat from God to the world or to ourself. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse number 6, David was greatly distressed, the Bible says. The people spake of stoning him. Everyone was against him. The soul of the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David retreated from the people, retreated from the world, and he strengthened himself. He encouraged himself in the Lord. Regular renewal. How important is my daily Bible reading? Regular renewal. How important is my daily prayer life? Regular renewal. How important is my church service? Regular renewal. How important is it that I live a separated life? Remember, pollution free. Unconditional surrender. Regular renewal. Renew your mind. Romans 12, 2, as we just alluded to. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Well, let's move on to the letter E. Not only will a pure heart be pollution-free, not only will a pure heart have unconditional surrender to God, not only will a pure heart have regular renewal, 
but letter E, it will be established in the faith. Established in the faith. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 14, after Paul names the, the, the elements of the church that help to grow us strong, that teach us, that disciple us, that strengthen us, that encourage us. Paul says this, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slay of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Be established in the faith or you're going to be tossed to and fro by this teaching, by that teaching, by by, uh, this doctrine, by that doctrine by this radio station, by this internet site. My goodness, understand there's only one faith. Getting back to Ephesians chapter 4, there's one body, one kind of church. There's one spirit. John would say, try the spirits, test the spirits. Even as you're called in one hope, if you're calling, there's one Lord, one faith. One baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all. And if you're saved, in you all, he says. Never think you're too smart to reestablish yourself in the faith. It's just like that renewal. We need to be established in the faith and reestablished and reestablished. Peter would write to veteran Christians and say, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them. Because I know that you know these basic doctrines, but I'm not going to be negligent in not teaching you these things constantly. He says, I think it's meet or necessary as long as I'm in this body, this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. You know, perhaps you don't see God simply because you don't serve him with a pure heart. Maybe there's pollution in the life, in the individual. Maybe there's not unconditional surrender. And that's just too much to ask. To live solely for the Lord to the point that I have to rid myself of, well, as I said, friends, relatives. And here's the thing. If you live solely for the Lord, you'll not have to rid yourself of friends and relatives. They will rid you of themselves or, better yet, be converted. Do you practice regular renewal in your life? Strive to be established in the faith. You can never be too established in the faith. It's something we are always striving for. You know, the way you answer these questions will determine whether you see God. Because blessed are the pure in heart. They're the ones who will see God. Remember who he's talking to. They're already saved. They already can see Jesus with their eyes. But the pure in heart would see Jesus 
in their lives. Let's have every head, bo every head bowed and every eye closed. As I said, it starts with salvation. Have you accepted Christ as your personal 